Well, hey, welcome to our summer concert series 2019, week number two. Anybody glad to be here today? A few of you, a few of you, and if you just wandered in here not knowing what's going on, I'm just going to give an altar call real quick, and we'll pray, and y'all go on. No, <laughs> no, we are, we are, we are in the middle of this uh, summer concert series. This year's theme is uh, the Gospel According to Disney. Now, I'm going to reiterate what I reiterate what I said last week. This is in no way an endorsement of all things Disney, but I do believe that God can redeem anything he chooses to. I believe he can use anything he chooses to. Kelly, where do you find that at? Well, read your Bible. You need proof. Look how God chose to bring the Magi to Jesus. A lot of you wouldn't agree with the tactics God used to bring them there, but that's a story for a different day. But man, I hope you're here because we have been having fun with this. And doesn't Candace, as she does every time, do an incredible job with her stage? Um, last week, how many were here last week? If you missed last week, Zach, I got my on you, buddy. You know. No, no, no. Little inside joke. <laughs> uh, but it made my morning. I woke up and I come out of the shower laughing. And he said, what? I said, look at this text. But anyway, let's go on from there. Anyway, so, uh, but last week we looked at The Lion King. And here's why we summed up The Lion King. It is a movie about identity. Simba loses his identity because of some soul wounds. Talked about soul wounds. We talked about core lies that the enemy tells us. We talked about generational sin and all those things. And, and there's one great scene, man, uh, that I love. We played it last week where, where uh, Simba's running from his identity and Rafiki finds him and is trying to say, no, 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 this is who you are. And, and, and then uh, Mufasa comes back in a vision to Simba and says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And we also talked about how this, God is way more interested in your future than he is your past. Amen. Ain't anybody glad about that? Amen. So this, well, a couple of you. This week, maybe, this week, one of my favorites, The Incredibles. Anybody an Incredible fan? I love The Incredibles. Let me get let, give you a little bit behind it. Uh, Incredibles came out in November 2004, grossing $633 million in the theaters alone. That means once it came out to DVD, some of you will remember what those are. Uh, once it came out to DVD, it made a whole lot more than that. And one of the reasons I think it was so popular is because it spoke to us in our human condition. What, what do you mean? I, I think every one of us, there's not a person in here that doesn't have those days where you feel like there's something more. There's something. I, I was made for more than just what I'm doing now. And, and we've got that inside us. And now we suppress it. Come on. Until finally it's down deep and we figure, well, this is it. This, but I think it speaks to us on that. And, and the, the Incredibles, if you don't know what it's about, it's about this family of superheroes, or as they're called, supers. They, they possess these amazing uh, superpowers. You've got Bob Parr, 
a.k.a. Mr. Incredible. You've got Helen Parr, Elastigirl, uh, Mr. Incredible's wife. You've got Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack, their kids. They've got these incredible powers. But because of some uh, collateral damage that occurs and lawsuits that come against the city, the government outlaws them from using their superpowers. And they go into superhero relocation program. Yeah, so you, you got to follow it. So you've got Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, who is frustrated with his life. Uh, he, he's stuck in this office cubicle, pushing papers. He's got an annoying boss that rides him daily. Can anybody relate? It's not a time for Faye or Ben or Bob to say amen. Um, but, but he, and what he does, though, he's frustrated because he longs to be Mr. Incredible again. He's got all these gifts, got all these talents, but can't use them. Now, let's sidetrack real quick. This Pastor Appreciation Day, my church knows me. They know me being the Christian that I am, that I am only a fan of God's team, the Tennessee Vols. And... So they say, say, we pray for all those other fans that, you know, we all slip up and make mistakes, but God's for everybody, Uh, especially Tennessee Vols. Uh, But they got me season tickets. And I'm not talking these, you know, you got to carry a tissue because your nose is going to bleed tickets. I'm talking lower level seats. So as you can tell, I am pumped about this year's. I'm ready to go. Let's say, okay, Zion, in case you don't know, today is actually... Zion's last Sunday with us. Uh, he'll be leaving us going to Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, he's going on the mission field, the devil's territory, Alabama. To... Y'all are slow today. Y'all are slow. But he's going to be uh, going down there for an internship at a church. But let's say he, he usually goes to ball games with me. So I've got a ticket, extra ticket now. And I've done put the word out, listen, I accept bribes if you want to go with me to a game. But let's say I wanted to gift Ben, Pastor Ben, <laughs> just one ticket to the opening, opening day, opening day. And I say, Ben, man, here, I'm going to give you this gift. This is valuable. It is priceless. I'm going to give it to you, this one ticket. So Ben takes the gift. He goes with me to the game. The whole time we're sitting there, he acts so unappreciative. He acts like he's done me a favor by even being there. I wonder sometimes if that's how God thinks with us. He's given us these gifts, these things down inside of us, and we never take them out of the box, but they just sit there And it's like we're doing him a favor if we do use them. Are you with me? I wonder if God ever feels that way. Could it be that the greatest frustration that God has with us is not when we blow it, not when we screw up or, or, or fail or fall. But God's big, could it be that God's biggest frustration with us is when he looks down, knowing the gifts that he's placed inside of us, and we do nothing with them? Could that be his biggest frustration? Uh, American author and poet Henry David Thoreau says, says this. I love this quote. Most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. 
meaning whatever was put in them by God, they go to the grave with that. Never, it never coming out. It never being out. And I think that's where Bob Parr is in, in, in this movie. He is living a life of quiet desperation. He wants more than a cubicle. He wants more than just the norm. He wants more than the waking up, going to work, getting off work, coming home, going to bed, getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home. Get, he wants more than that. He knows I was made for more. And he's frustrated. So what does he do? Anybody remember what he does? He begins moonlighting as an anonymous superhero by doing what? Listening to the police scanner. He starts listening to the police scanner. He just wants to use these gifts. He just wants to, to use them to serve. And he begins looking for opportunities. Why? Because here's what he knows. He's got these things. He is a superhero at heart. He's got these gifts. And to do anything else with them but to serve people and help people is going to leave him feeling empty and frustrated. He's got to do that. Here's the truth. You're a follower of Jesus. You call yourself a follower of Jesus. You and I are the same. God has put these gifts in us. God has put these visions, dreams, things inside of us. And if we do anything other than use these God-given gifts to, the, to, to their full God-given ability, it will leave us feeling empty and frustrated in life. We've got those things inside of us. And we begin to live, in the words of Henry David Thoreau, we live our lives in quiet desperation, longing for more. Now, as you probably already know, I love college football. I, I mean, it is my favorite time of year. I love college football. But one of the strategies when I watch Tennessee play or another team that I'm rooting for, one of the strategies I hate is when I see we get a lead in the game and we begin to play not to lose instead of playing to win. I hate that strategy. You know what I mean? We play, let's just hold on to the lead. Let's just hold, and we quit being aggressive. We quit going, I hate that. I hate that strategy in football, and I hate that strategy in life. When we get to this place, well, I don't want to lose anything, so I'm just going to, no, I don't want to. I, I, listen, the last thing this community needs is a church that plays it safe and plays not to lose instead of playing to win. The last thing this community needs is a bunch of people that are just satisfied with it wearing the jersey. That are just satisfied, thank you, Chris, that are just satisfied with having their name on the roster. They need people that are going to go up to the coach, say, Coach, put me in. I've got something to give. I've got something for this. Put me in. They need people, a community of believers that are playing to win this game. Are you with me? The problem is too many of us spend our time playing not to lose instead of playing to win. I hate it. I hate that strategy. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 14. If you were wondering, is this guy ever going to read any scripture? I'm there now. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I want, to look, I want us to look at uh, someone that had all the gifts, had all the abilities. God, God had placed him here, but he chose to stay on the sideline. We're going to look at King Saul and Jonathan. Now, I'll give you a little backstory. King Saul and his son Jonathan, the Israel army, they're at war with the Philistines. But here's the problem. 
is they're going to war with people that have got swords and spears, bow and arrows. There's only, the Bible says there's only two people that has a sword and spear. Jonathan and Saul. The rest of them, they're carrying, they're, it's farm, farm tools. They've got a hoe, they've got a rake, they've got a shovel. They've got uh, anything they can to fight with because the Phil- Philistines have said, listen, uh, blacksmiths, you, you better not do, make any weapons for the Israelites. So they shut them down. And, and look what it says before we go to 14. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 13, 22. So on the day of battle, not a soldier, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now let's jump to 14, starting with verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul, his dad, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. So Jonathan, Saul's son, is going to fight while King Saul is hanging out and chilling under a pomegranate tree. Saul is on the sideline. He's on the sideline. Here's what I've learned in this thing called life. If you're taking notes, is this. You'll either be on the sideline sitting or you'll be on the front lines fighting. One of the two. You'll be on the sideline sitting or you'll be on the front lines fighting. And Saul is sitting on the sideline under a pomegranate tree. But this is not the first time. This is something Saul does a lot. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Saul is king, and, and this giant comes out, bad mouths uh, the, the army, and then their God, and Saul does nothing about it but sit in his tent. Here comes David, a shepherd boy. He shows up and says, I'm going to fight him. And Saul's like, oh, you're just a boy. Yeah, and begins to tell him every reason he can't do it. But you know what he doesn't do? Ever get up and says, no, let me take care of this. And if anybody should have been out there fighting, it should have been Saul. Not just because of who he was, but the Bible says this about Saul, that he stood head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. So if anybody was a matchup or close to being a matchup, it was Saul. But Saul chose to let a shepherd boy fight his battle. In his book, Erwin Mannis, one of my favorite speakers and authors, in his book, Seizing Your Divine Moment, he says this, a sideliner is an observer of life rather than a liver of life. Are you an observer? Or do you live life? Do you sit on the sidelines and watching everybody else live? Or do you live your life? Can can I be very blunt and honest with you today? And I don't know why I say that just out of courtesy, because I'm going to be blunt and honest with you anyway. Is this, church was never intended to be a spectator sport. Ever, ever, we made it that. We made it that where we came in, we sit, we get a feel-good message, and then we go out living our lives however we want to. Church was never intended to be a spectator sport. I'm telling you, it's time for a whole lot of you that call Watts of Our Church your home to get off the sidelines. Get off the sidelines. Get in the game. Look at your neighbor and say it with attitude. Get off the sidelines. Now, say it to your second choice. Get off the sidelines. Some of y'all just developed a complex right there. Can I tell you the truth? We don't need more members here to watch Bar Church. 
We don't need more members. What we need is more people that are willing to invest and get vested in what's going on here and, and put some blood, sweat, and tears into the lives that are being changed. That's what we need. That's what we need. I don't need other people that just call. I've heard people, hey, yeah, what's our church is my home. I'm like, I can't remember. I don't know if I've ever even seen you. But, but while I'm here, can we take an offering? No, let's go on. So, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> There's a couple of ways you can get invested in this church and invest, get vested and have a vested interest. The first one is this, is invite someone to church. If you believe in this body, if you believe in the vision of what What's Bar is about, what we're doing, the people we're trying to reach, invite someone to church. And can I tell you this? When you begin to invite people and they start showing up and you see their lives being changed, that changes your church experience tremendously. It changes it. Now, I will go a little bit further and say this. If you don't believe in the vision here of Watts Bar Church, I just don't believe in that playing secular music. I don't believe in playing movies. I just don't believe. Listen, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I know we're not for everybody. But what I would ask you to do is find a place that you believe in that vision. Plug yourself in and get to, do, get to doing something to help promote the kingdom of God. I understand we're not for everybody. I, listen, I, I, we do stuff here and I'm like, that's just stupid. But God's called me here, so I'm going to live through the stupidness for the goodness. Are y'all with me? Another way to get invested in this place. If you, got, if, you, if you belong to this house, if you call this place home and didn't get one of those handouts that says, I want to serve, I want you to raise your hand. But if you got one, go ahead and get it out. Hold it up in the air. Let me see them. Surely to God, we gave out more than 10 handouts. So, <laughs> ushers, if you, don't, if you don't have one, get your hand in the air. If you don't have one, we got some people. Oh, they did a better job than I thought. We've only got a handful. Here's a way you can get vested in this body and make a difference. Fill out that form and begin to serve immediately. Immediately. What, what do you mean? Ushers, greeters, nursery, WB Kids, sound, our media, our lights, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the band singing, uh, prayer team, our planning team, our stage design. It, here's the truth. You get way more out of church when you give more. When you give more, get off the sidelines. Get, and I want you to hold on to those. Keep them handy because we're going to look at them later on. Listen, can I... Can, You'll always find an excuse to stay on the sidelines. Always. Uh, well, here's the truth. We're all busy. We've all got too many irons in the fire. We've all got things going on. You, you look for an excuse, you'll find it. We've all got, still got stuff we're dealing with. Are you with me? We've all... Let me talk to this side. We've, all, we've still got some sin that we're dealing with. We've still got some problems. Kelly, how do you know that? Because, I, listen, I know you're jacked up. I pastor you. <laughs> and because I deal with stuff myself. I deal with stuff myself. So you're going to find an excuse. And that's one of the things I love about Mr. Incredible. He doesn't let anything get in his way. I mean, the truth is he's overweight. He's so overweight he can't fit in his belt of his old suit. Uh, he, he, gets, he loses his temper. 
More than once, he loses his temper one time because he's frustrated at work. He comes home, dents his car, slams the door, smashes out all the windows. Another time, he loses his temper at, the, at work with his boss. He uh, damages the doorknob and then punches his boss through the wall. I don't recommend it. It turns out good in the movies, not so good in real life. Amen. That's Corey. Had to go visit him for a year in prison. No, 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 just kidding. But we throw our excuses at God too. God, God, I I don't have what it takes. I, I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I cuss a little. I told him, I saw a shirt a few weeks ago. My wife wouldn't let me buy it. But it said, I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little. (laughs) Come on now. Don't don't sit back there with your halos on. I've been to play sports with some of y'all. We throw our excuses. I lost my temper, man. I lost my temper today. I'm still dealing with issues in my life. You will always find a reason not to serve or get involved. I'm telling you, listen, I I love, uh, here's the thing. When we look at our problems, what's going on in our life, it's easy to say, I can't serve because I've got this or I'm too way down. I love what psychiatrist uh, Carl Jung said when he was asked about how he helps, how he was able to help so many people. Watch what he says. I love this. He said, most people came to me with an insurmountable problem. However, what happened was through our work together, they discovered something more important than the problem, and the problem lost its power and went away. That's ministry. When you throw yourself in and begin to serve, suddenly the problems you have become smaller and smaller because you, 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 you take your focus off those things and put them somewhere else. Are you with me, church? That's ministry. You got problems? Keep trying to solve those problems on your own. They'll get bigger and bigger. Keep doing it. But if you'll start serving, get yourself involved with community. You'll see those problems shrink as as far as what you thought were so big, what you thought were so important. Mother Teresa said that when people would come to help out with her ministry to the lepers and the extremely poor, she said they would come there, they would be depressed. Someone would be, well, all this. She said, but within a week or so of them serving with her, their whole demeanor changed. Why? Because they got outside of themselves and began to look at others. And I'm telling you, if you're waiting to get all your stuff together before you start serving or doing anything, you will never serve. Can I, can I be honest? If, if me preaching today was determined by whether I nailed it every time this past week and did all the right things, I'd be sitting out there. But I have to do what God has called me to do. When I I get it right every time and when I mess up, the difference is getting up and moving on and being who you've called to be. Here in this passage, you've got Saul sitting on the sidelines. But what's Jonathan doing? Listening to the police scanner. Looking for opportunities. Check out uh, verse 3 through 7. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass, get this, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff 
One was called Boaz, the other Sinai. One cliff stood on the north toward Michmash, the other on the south toward Gida. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, I love this, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan said this. He said, hey, perhaps God will save. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. All I know is I'm tired of sitting here doing nothing. I'm tired of sitting here complaining about my situation, about my circumstance. I'm going to go do something about it. And I love this. I love the armor bearer's response. Watch this. Do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Do whatever. You, I, I love that. I love it. Can I tell you, we all need someone like that in our lives. We need someone to encourage us. We need someone to stand back to back with us and fight. We need somebody that will get in their face too and say, bro, this ain't right. Come on, you can do better than this. We need those people in our life. We need them. We need somebody that, that knows us so well that even when we say we're fine, they know something's wrong. Now, who's got a car in here? A lot of you got a car. Now, now there's this thing. My wife hasn't figured this out yet. A gas gauge. <laughs> that when it gets all the way to one side. <laughs> thank you. I finally got an amen. Um, our marriage conference. Our marriage conference is August 23rd, 24th. Uh, so. Yep, why, why do I say that? Because every time I get in the car, I'm the one that goes fills it up. I think she just waits. I'm on time and just ride it. I don't want to get out. But anyway, that, that, that gauge is there for a reason, right? To tell you when you're running low. To tell you some things. You, you need to fill some things up in your life because you are running low. I think God, man, chooses. Uh, there's a couple different ways that God chooses to fill us up when we're running low. The first one is this. There, there's a couple of gifts. The first gift he uses is the gift of Holy Spirit. He'll use that to fill us and refill us and refill us and refill us. I don't know about you, but I get empty sometimes. And I need refilling. The, the second area he, he, he uses to refill us is this, the gift of encouragement. Man, we all need people in that life, in our life like that. I, I've got a couple of men in my life that Chris Line is one of my biggest encouragers. I'm telling you, this guy now, now he's going to quit. But, some, <laughs> but I'm telling you, now this guy, I've told Denise this and I've told others this, Almost every Sunday, he comes up to me and tells me. And then the other day where he said, I'm just going to tell you, uh, Pastor, he said, that message last Sunday, that's one of the best things you, I, I've heard you preaching forever. Encouragement. I don't care if he means it or not. <laughs> it's encouraging to me. You know what? Tell me I'm pretty even if I'm ugly. It's encouraging to me. D. Pinkert is another one. The guy, he'll, he'll call me almost every Sunday morning. I, when I, between services, I go back. I've got a missed call and a voicemail from D. Pinkert. There's not a hello. There's not nothing. It's just when I, when I get that voicemail, it says, God, I asked today that you would watch over pastor, that you would be with a And I'm like, 
That I need those people in my life. You need those people in your life. Here's what I know. We all can't be superheroes. But everybody can be an armor bearer. Everybody can be an encourager. Everybody can find somebody that you're willing to fight with and stand with. Come on, are you with me? Check out this clip. So what are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. Me too, kid. Here's a tragedy. I think most of us go our whole lives waiting on something amazing. Waiting on something amazing to happen. But we'll spiritualize it. I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. I don't... Can I be honest? I don't think that a lot of times what we say is waiting on God would qualify as waiting on God. And if I'm being honest, a lot of times our waiting on God is really just a lack of faith. Do you remember when Jesus said "Hey, to his disciples, I want you to go wait for me. Go to the upper room. I want you to pray. I want you to sit. And then meant for the promise, wait on me. Now, there was 120 at the end, but there was more than that. You, you want to find out who's really waiting on God? Hold a 10-day prayer service, and you'll see who's really waiting on God. But, but, but what we do is... Uh, is not really waiting on God. Now, there's a couple of different styles of waiting. The first one is passive waiting. That's what Saul did. He knows there's something to do, but he's going to chill out under a pomegranate tree and really do nothing, hoping God will take care of it without him doing anything. Come on. Then there's proactive waiting. How many proactive waiters do we have? Now, if you don't know what that is, let me... I do a lot of proactive waiting at Walmart. I, I pick my line, and I sit in it, but then I've got three or four other lines I'm, I'm eyeing. Which one's going to get me through faster? Well, I'm proactively waiting. I'm not just waiting. I, I'll do it if, when I'm pulling up to a red light. Let's see, there's a big truck right here. This little car go faster. Let me get over here. Proactively waiting. Come on. No, y'all would choose to sit behind them and blow your horn, cuss at them. But let's go on. <laughs> proactively waiting. The disciples proactively waited on God. I, I wait pro, we wait proactively, praying, seeking God's face. That's proactive. Jonathan says, you know what? I'm going to go pick a, pick a fight with the Philistines. That's proactive waiting. Waiting. I love, man, George Bernard Shaw said this. I, I, this... This may offend some of you, but I love what he says here. People, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want. And if they can't find them, they make them. Oh, that was good. That's good. Because what we like to do is sit around blaming our circumstances for why we don't have what we do. Come on, we, we're in a generation, uh, a, a social setting of we want our handouts. 
We want our handouts. Let's give it to me. He said, no, you don't see the circumstance you want. Go and make the circumstance you want. Saul's passively waiting. But Jonathan said, I don't like what I'm looking at, so I'm going to make what I want to look at. And he goes. He's tired of complaining about his circumstance. Here, here's the truth. Now, when Jonathan sets his plan in order, it's not the best laid plan. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when you see it, it you know, because here's my thinking. If it's just you and your buddy going to fight a battalion of enemies, I would think, I'm not a military expert, the best way is element of surprise. Wait till they're asleep. Sneak up maybe the night before they were drinking. They were partying. They, then they're a little buzzed. And then when they're good and asleep, go in there, then attack them. Then we've got a better chance. Is that what Jonathan does? Let's look at it. Uh, Verse 8. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. I I think the armor bearer is probably thinking, okay, maybe don't do all that's in your mind. Maybe we back up and punt here. Because I don't think the best situation is to let them see us. Oh, oh, wait, wait. You're still talking. There's more to the plan? Well, let's listen. If they say to us, wait, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. Oh, plan's getting better. I like this. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now, listen if I'm the armor bearer, I'm like, that's not a sign from God. <laughs> Here's, let's pray this, Jonathan. If it be your will, God, let them start climbing down, trip, fall to their death, and we'll know God's giving them into our hands. I love that. That's my fleece right there. Now let's climb up. Now let's climb up. I mean, that, of course, the armor bearers know. Let's just go with it. Look what the Philistines do when they see Jonathan and him. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan armor bearer said, Oh, crap. Here we go. Uh, No, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Question. Have you ever climbed anything? You ever climbed a cliff? I've not climbed a cliff. Well, yeah, I have to jump off uh, over at Dickie's Bluff. But, but here's what I know. I've, climbed, I've done those, you know, where, uh, where it's like climbing a rock, a rock wall. And, and here's what I do know. And I know, looking at me, you're thinking, Kelly, your upper body strength has got to be out of this world. You would not. There's no way. Listen, I get it. I, I get that all the time. Uh, but <laughs> I lie just a little. Uh, but I know this. When I've done those simulators and I've climbed, by the time I got to the top, I'm, my arms are on fire. I mean, my fingers are like, I'm like this when we go to eat. I'm trying to hold my fork. Okay, now imagine that. When they get to the top, they got a sword fight. Anybody ever, ever sword fought before? 
If you have, I would love to talk to you and just see what circumstance brought that on. But uh, <laughs> they sword fight. Now, to sword, you've got to grip it with your hand. I would think if I've got to grip a sword or anything to fight with my hand, the last thing I want to do is climb a cliff. But this is Jonathan's strategy. Climb a cliff. But here's the thing. Jonathan isn't focused on how hard it's going to be to get up there. Jonathan isn't focused on what it's going to take to get on the obstacle in front of him. Jonathan is focused on one thing. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Because the Lord can save whether it's many or whether it's few. That's what he's focused on. So many times we get focused on our circumstance, on, on what's going on. When God is saying, no, go, go, go do it. Let's, let's go on. I, I love Jonathan's refusal to sit on the sideline. And we got to hurry because I know we're running behind. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Get this. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties in the ground shook. And it was a panic sent by God. You see what happened? One man refused to sit on the sideline. Recruited another man to go with him. Those two men climbed this cliff with the attitude of nothing can stop the Lord from saving. Nothing can stop him. And they climbed the cliff and stood back to back. And remember, there's only one that's got a sword. The other one's swinging whatever he could find to swing. And he stood back to back to them. And it says God set off a panic in the camp. Let's look what happened down verse 20. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. Oh, now you want to get in on the field. Oh, now, now you want to get some playing time in. Saul and his sideline buddies get up and they say, oh, let's go, let's go play now. But look what they found. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Jump to verse 23. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel. On that day, the Lord saved his, Israel. What would have happened if Jonathan woke up and said, you know what? It's pretty comfortable just sitting here. Plus, if we get up and go do something, it's going to make these guys feel bad if they're not doing Anything, so let's just stay here. Well, what, what would have happened if Jonathan said, this, this is what everybody else is doing, so I'm just going to stay right here with them. Do you know what would have happened? Nothing. Their situation wouldn't have changed. Nothing would have been different. They'd still be sitting there waiting. But Jonathan and his armor bearer chose to use what God had given them. Jonathan knew who he was. There's a great scene in the movie, uh, The Incredibles, where Elastigirl is, is, is talking to their kids, and she tells them it's so powerful. She says this to, to those two kids. She says, your identity is your most valuable possession. Protect it. In other words, they're going to try to tell you you're something else. 
but know who you are. Know who you are. I, I love this. God took one man, Jonathan, that knew his identity, knew he who he was. And then by that, him knowing his identity, he said, let me give you your identity. Come with me. Oh, I, I hope you are seeing this. And when they, what they started in faith, God finished in triumph. What they started in faith, saying perhaps the Lord will work with us. What they started in faith, God finished in triumph. God is saying to someone here, quit sitting on the sidelines, take a step, and watch God finish it. God's not asking you to finish it. He's just asking you to start it. To start it. Listen to me, church. The course of Israel's history was changed by one's man, one man's decision not to stay on the sidelines. What if, what if the course of your family tree is waiting for one person to quit sitting on the sidelines? What if that addiction that has been running amok in your family, God is just waiting for one person in your family to say, no, 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 I'm not sitting on the sidelines anymore. I'm done with that. What if that generational sin, whether it's dead, come, one of the things that, that God spoke in Denise when we moved up here uh, almost eight years ago was this, that God was going to break this, this poverty mindset off this area. What if God wants to use you to break that off of your family? Come on, guys. What if God is just waiting for one person to quit sitting on the sidelines at your school, at your work, in your locker room? What if he's waiting and he said, you, you just, it's time for you to step up. Another place in the, in the movie. Dash, the son, is in trouble at school. He runs really quick. You can't even see him. And he gets in trouble. And on the way home, he said, Mom, I, I want to do something. I've got this gift. I'm just Let me play sports. I won't run too fast. I'll make, it, I'll make it a competition. I won't let him see me do this. And his mom says this. Right now, honey, the world just wants us to fit in. And to fit in, we've just got to be like everybody else. What if the armor bearer had responded to Jonathan like that? Jonathan, right now, what Saul and the rest of them want is for us just to fit in. And for us just to fit in, we've just got to be like everybody else. Nothing would have changed. Uh, listen, the world doesn't need us to be like everybody else. They may tell you they want you that way, but that's not what they need. They need you to be the person God created you to do and to use the, God, the gifts God has given you to use. I'm telling you, God has put things, ideas, visions inside of you, and he's waiting for you to quit passively waiting and to start picking a fight, to start climbing. One of the biggest things we do, and I'm closing, one of the biggest things we do here is our Easter production, Centuries, the Rock Opera. I've been doing it five years now. That started with God giving me an idea. I, I, I remember... Uh, uh, Fallout Boys' new album had come out. And I was listening to the, the song Centuries. And I was like, man, God began to speak to me. He said, God speaks to me through movies, through music, through stupid stuff. Because he knows if I'm going to talk to Kelly, 
he's not going to understand this and thou. I got to talk to him a different way. And he began to speak to me through this song. And I called Bob and I said, Bob, I've got an idea. Our church was known at one time for these incredible Easter productions. Let's do that again, but set the Easter story to rock music. Well, well, church people won't come. Exactly. People that need to hear this will come. Because contrary to popular belief, the world isn't out there listening to J103. Come on now. I love what they do. But I believe if we're going to reach the world, we've got to use bait that they're biting at. And God began, we, we like, so we began to put together the songs we wanted to use. And then we called in Candace. We called in Melinda Mayer. And we said, listen, we need you to help us write the script for this. And we began to putting it together and putting it together. That was five years ago. And I'll tell you this, that is the biggest thing we do every year. We're for four, uh, four performances. We pack this place out completely. We see more people saved or come back to Jesus during those four performances than any other time of year. We've got people here today that were saved in that. We've got marriages that were healed uh, because they came here, got saved, and God did something in their life. What would have happened if we said, man, that's a good idea, but let's, let's sit on it for a while. What if we said, you know what, that's a great idea, but man, I don't know if the church world is ready for that. I tell you, here's what I've learned, and I know this is going to be mind-blowing. That's why I put it in your notes. If you never do anything, nothing will happen. I know, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's like a revelation to you right now. But here's the problem. Most people live their lives like they don't know this principle. That if you don't do anything, well, nothing's going to happen. So what are you going to do? Are you going to stay seated under your proverbial pomegranate tree? Or are you going to start to climb? Are you going to remain comfortable hoping things change? Hoping that something different happens? Hoping your marriage gets better? Hoping the world's a better place. Hoping the kids. Uh, no, or are you going to do something? Are you going to climb? My last quote from the movie. Bob Parr is longing to be Mr. Incredible again. And this character Mirage shows up. And she's offering him a chance to be Mr. Incredible again. And she says this line. She says, the supers aren't gone. Mr. Incredible, you're still here. You can still do great things or you can listen to police scanners. Your choice. I want to say that to everybody in here. The disciples are gone. Billy Graham, gone. Other great men and women, gone. Great women of God, gone. But you're still here. You can do great things. You can do amazing. You don't have to sit around waiting for the amazing to happen. You can still do great things. Or you can sit around and listen to a police scanner. Your choice. Stand with me. Albert Schweitzer says this. The tragedy of life is what dies inside a man while he lives. 
tragedy of life is what dies inside a man while he lives. Last week you heard James Lacombe talk about Triple H Ministries, the homeless outreach that he started four years ago. You saw pictures from his second trip to Kenya where they go over there and help out with an orphanage. James will be the first to tell you, nothing qualified him for starting a homeless ministry. He didn't go to school to learn how to do it, didn't take online classes. God just said, hey, hey, quit sitting on the sidelines. Start climbing. Some of you have been to those outreaches where we've been there and we've set up tents and cut homeless people's hair. We've washed their hair. We've taken clothes for them to, to, so they'll, they'll, they'll be able to change clothes. We, we've taken uh, the, the necessities like toothpaste, toothbrushes, uh, underarm deodorant, things like that we take for granted. And, but, but here's the thing. What if James had said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not qualified. What if English? Nothing qualified her for opening her own clinic. She had never done it before. Something inside of her. Said, go. Go. And I can't tell you the number of times. In fact, every time I go in that, that clinic, they or one of them is around praying for somebody. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, guys? Don't sit around waiting for something amazing. Well, I'm waiting on God. Well, I'm waiting on God. Could it be? Could it possibly that? No, you're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you to get up out of that, under that tree and get to climbing. Anybody, what, what was the bad guy's name in The Incredibles? Anybody remember? Syndrome. Syndrome. What was his purpose? He wanted to keep the, 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 the Incredibles, those with super abilities to change the world. He, listen, if he couldn't take their gifts away with them, he wanted to silence them. That's what the enemy wants to do today. He can't take what God's given you, but he can talk you into sitting there in the pomegranate tree doing nothing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, here's, if you got one of those when I came out, one of those, uh, uh, I want to start. Get it out. Go ahead and get it out right now. Get it out. If you call your, this your home, man, you need to have one of these. Yeah, are we going to do this right now, Kelly? Yeah, I know. yeah, we are. I've been around in ministry long enough to know that'll end up in the garbage somewhere. Or tooth your gun if it hasn't already wound up in it. Go ahead and get it out. You got them out? If you need a pen, get it. I want you to fill it out right now. And we're going we're gonna to pass these buckets. Let you put them in there. Ushers. Ushers, could you bring out a pen? If you need a pen, raise your hand. Now, these are pens that got accidentally sent to us. So, huh? Oh, they're ours. Okay. We have a 1,000 pens that they sent the wrong pens to us uh, representing some. I don't even know who it is. I want you to fill that out. You say, PK, what if I sign up for something and it's just not my thing, my area? We're going to help you find your giftings. We're going to help you find where you better serve because you need to be serving. You need to be doing something because I'm telling you, every week people's lives are being changed. Be part of it. 
be part of it. I'm going to ask Zion and my girls to come up. Are we still in there? Well, come on up then. Sheridan looked at me like I was crazy. 